Hello, and I hope you had a powerful start of the week. Today promises to be another awakening. And I hope you are as eager as I am to share, to grow, to be more of the natural and limitless person you truly are. Last time we got together, I spoke about awakening the different fields of interaction so we can all expand as individuals through multiple points of view. We got to know more about people or persons number one, two, three, and four. Four people living and talking in our own bodies so we can understand better new and difficult situations in our life. We talked about being the bigger person in any engagement by calling on the many voices of resistance, anger, disagreement, and confusion, and then welcoming to the light bulb of insight and wisdom so we can rehearse and resolve difficult engagements in a way that prepare us for the actual event. When we are able to do this, we develop a skill I call mental agility. Before we even become agile, we need to be able to adapt in our heads. So mental agility is our capacity to be flexible and to take on different points of views or thinking and interpretations that are not ours to hold these difficult emotions and thoughts without being them. When we are able to do this, we are then able to take care of the processes that will resolve the situation, and sometimes even on its own. Today, I'm feeling expansive again, and I'd like to focus on another kind of growing up. And this time around, why don't we talk about how we can be the brightest and the smartest in the room? When we talk about smarts, we naturally lean on an important organ of our body, and that is our brain. Now, here's a trivia. How many brains do we have? You'll probably say one, and it's there between our two ears. Well, recent neuroscience findings have uncovered that we have a complex and functional two other brains, and the cast of new characters are our heart and our gut. So we have the head heart, and gut. I did talk about gut largely on my episode about intuition. And today, I'll go a little bit deeper and more integrated by sharing with you my recent discussion with fellow NLP trainer Andreas Dorn. In this chat, we deconstructed our nervous system and looked through the lens of our two new brains and what they can do to our decision-making, our leadership, life goals, and social interactions. This finding about the three brains now gives us a lot of new meaning to the saying, let's put our brains together. Sit back and enjoy my conversations with certified NLP trainer Andreas Dorn on the topic, three brains are better than one. Welcome, this is the Mindmaster Show. It is a show where you want to be because it is here where I'm inviting expert guests from the field of the mind to share their knowledge. Here we are going deep in this show. We are talking about what it takes for you to break through your limiting beliefs, remove negative emotions, and help you to get to the next level. Who am I to present this show? Well, my name is Andreas. I'm a certified NLP trainer and master trainer of hypnosis and other tools of the mind. My company is Asia Mind Dynamics. I'm running this company for the past 16 years or so. Now, whom do we have today? Well, we are speaking to Sherry Pua Africa. And what are we talking about, Sherry? Well, let me introduce her for just a moment, okay? 
So she has been awarded Asia's most distinguished leader and global woman achiever by the World Women Leadership Congress and is one of the most recognized top 100 influential Filipina in the world. Wayo! And a total of 500,000 people have been trained by Cherry and she has been called Awakener of Awesome People. So let's say hello to her with a roaring hello and let's give And if you are in the audience, it would be really awesome if you would be showing some, some, some nice hello comment as well as much. Say hello to Sherry and Sherry, over to you. Say something about yourself. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, hello, Andreas. I love your introduction. I love your applause. Oh, what a wonderful <laughs> Thursday night to enjoy this with you. I am so looking forward to our conversation that will hopefully make our souls alive tonight. So thank you for having me here. I'm just so excited to learn more with you. Yes, thank you for being here. Now, dear audience, tell us. Now, our topic tonight is Three Brains Are Better Than One. And I love this title because, hey, most people always believe we have only one brain, which is up here. So what exactly do you mean by we have three brains and which, why they are better than just one brain? If one brain is not enough, what shall we do? <laughs> Definitely not enough. We have more than one brain. We have three brains. We have a brain here, we have a brain here, and we have a brain here. So this is our cephalic brain, and it is responsible for our creativity. But we also have a heart brain, our cardiac brain, which is responsible for our compassion. And then we have an enteric brain, our guts, and that's responsible for our courage. All of these three organs have neurons. And when they are aligned, we are performing at flow and we are performing at our peak and best states. So we need to utilize all of our brains so we could come up with better decisions. We could be a better leader, a better parent, a better friend. You know, we could perform so best in all areas of our lives. Good. Yes, but you spoke something very important already. If they are all aligned, how do you align them? We need to consult them. They are our consultants, you know. Our brains are so powerful. If we only rely on one brain, we are only performing at a third of our capacity. So we need to actually keep consulting them. And a full understanding and awareness, Andreas, of what these brains are responsible for and the best expressions of them. So there are many different ways to nourish, to exercise the muscles of our three brains. And it's also important to consult them at the right time and with the right reasons. Our head, for example, is responsible for logic, for making meaning, for critical thinking, for connecting the dots. So mm. we try and learn more and look at history, look at the patterns, the programs, so that we could understand more. So it's critical thinking, right? It's illogical processing. But our heart is responsible for another things. It's the wisdom of our values. It's responsible for our relationships with other people. It's responsible for our values, for understanding what we stand for as human beings. And the last portion is our gut is responsible. It's very visceral. It's responsible for our courage. We consult that when it's time to make a move. We consult that when it's time to look into our intuition, to access the unconscious mind and our unconscious programs, and to also consult our core identity and our self-preservation. So these are all different functions of the three brains. And when they are aligned and when we know when to consult them, most likely our decisions are whole. And we feel there is no inner conflict. We feel at peace with our decisions. So, Cherry, how did you get into this field? Let's just get started slowly. How did you get into this field 
with regard to understanding that we have got three brains overall, because it, I think it's not so much of a common knowledge, actually, isn't it? Yes, I ferociously love studying human beings. I am in the same universe and ecosystem as you are, Andreas. And my first encounter interaction with the brain is formally at least is in Singapore and in, then in Malaysia because I lived in Malaysia for seven years, Singapore for four years, and I studied human beings and peak performance. And then eventually applied everything that I've learned in professional organizational development and leadership. So it's just wonderful because there are so many areas of my work where I have been working with people in teams, with leaders, and I've learned a lot of practical applications of NLP. So NLP, we know, is the study of our mindset, is the study of the language, our processing. It's also the study of our behavior. The question is, what is responsible for our behavior? Who is actually that monkey that's responsible for our decision-making? Why do we have complex emotions? All of these questions led to the study and exploration of how powerful our brains are, our consciousness, our unconsciousness, and then there are also different organs which have different neurons, and then these are three brains. When we align them, we're able to make better decisions. And I have in my past running a business, running an organization, running NGOs, and running even my own family and being consultant for different partners, uh, discovered the power of the heart and the guts to support the head brain that we all know. Mm. It's overuse. Our head brains are overuse. And when we overuse it, we're overthinking. We are paralyzed and we don't act. And when there is no action, what's the use of critically analyzing all of the data anyway, right? So we need movement. And we can't move with our head. We only move with our gut brains. And so it's wonderful to try and learn more about these friendly neurons that's all hiding inside here, right? And make them fly so that we're able to do big things in this world. Yeah, I think what you mentioned is fascinating, you know, and I think it's how we're expressing it as well in our language, right? When, when we say, when you interact with people, we are thinking and we're saying like, my gut feeling is telling me something like that. Or when we are saying, my heart is going out to you. These are expressions, right? When we are coming from the different, from the different parts of our body, from the different brains overall, isn't it? Yes, these are all words, exactly what you're saying, right? I call it expressions. These are all expressions of our brain. When we say, I am at peace in my stomach or in my gut, or I am feeling fortitude in my stomach, I'm feeling courageous, I'm feeling I have a soft spot for that person, we are actually talking to different parts of our brain and they are organs for decision-making. So decision is not just a function of our logic. When we use logic alone, we are just, as I mentioned, using a third of our brain capacity and we probably will make weak decisions as a result of that. Right. Okay. You mentioned something and this might be a little bit out of topic, but some people say we're only using 10% of our brain, which I totally don't believe overall. And now you're saying mm -hmm. one third of our brain. So I believe and I hope you're with me on this when we always use our brain to the fullest. And they're always somewhat an inner linkage overall. So what would be something that the audience can do to start listening within themselves? How can they access the different parts and get to better decision-making into better decision-making processes? I think it all begins with the heart first, right? The heart is, is the wisdom of our values. Whenever we make decisions, even very small decisions in our lives, we begin from who we are, from our values. So that is the first organ to consult. Whatever it is, our decisions must be consistent with our values because values are things that we will die for unconsciously. No? And then we bring it to the brain, to the head brain, where we try and connect the dots. We look for patterns in the past. 
We try and rationalize it. We try to make meaning from all the sets of data that we have. And then we bring it back to the heart. Will my decision affect people? Will my decision hurt people? Is it consistent with my value? So it begins with the heart, it goes to the head, and then it goes back to the heart. We consult it again. When the heart says, okay, the heart and the head are incongruent and aligned with each other, that's when we go to the gut and move and make a move. That's when we jump off the ramp. That's when we feel safe because in the gut, there's a question about the core identity. Is this consistent with who I am? Because when we refuse to move or when we hesitate to move, it is not because the data is not complete. It is because we're feeling that it's not in conflict with who the person that we are. So it mm. is, you know, shame, for example, self-preservation. When we feel we're going to be rejected, when we feel it's not who we are, when we feel conflicted, it's all in the gut. So the gut will make us move. When the gut is aligned with the values and it's aligned with logic, then we're able to move. And then that's not the end of the decision-making. We go back to our heart for a final closure. Are we at peace with our decision? And all these things, this entire chronological sequence of decision-making doesn't have to take five weeks, doesn't have to take, you know, it could take five minutes or 10 minutes. When our brains are operating at autopilot, we know that, right? That unconsciousness, we are at flow state, we're able to make, you know, decision is easy. It's not supposed to be hard, right? In this world that's ambiguous and in this world that's when there are just so many nuanced and complicated decisions we need to make, we need to be able to consult all the different brains so that we're able to perform at our flow state, at our peak state. Right. Let's just ask your audience if they had an experience. I like to describe that usually in a situation when, when we have all the facts at hand. And sometimes, even so, we have all the facts at hand. We go about and saying, like, I go with my gut and do what oh. logically, the logic would contradict it. And many a times it turns out to be correct, right? So yes. I want to ask the audience right now before I'm going to say hello to them again, if they had a, if they had a situation when, when they were clearly logically thinking, but their gut feeling told them something else and they actually took the opposite decision of what they thought logically, hopefully they can follow me all, <laughs> and then run with the gut, so to speak. And I also think to, to, to add on to this one, I think it's a fascinating topic. We, there's a logical thinking in our evolutionary process came very much in the end, right? In order to survive when we were still prey on the, in the Sahara or when we were still like thousands of years ago, when we were still hunted by, by, by predators, we had to listen to our gut. We couldn't think logically. We had to know intuitively if there are certain areas which are more dangerous than others. Don't go there because there's a wild tiger waiting for you to eat you up. One of my friends earlier, she asked me, yes, Millie, my good friend Millie is here as well, one of my master coaches. So I'm really curious about this one. And that was, was my friend once and she was saying like, she's really, really curious about this one. How do we best make decisions when we don't have enough data? Because some people say it's risky. You've got to wait for more decision. You've got to do market research and all that stuff. So how, question to you, Sherry, how do we do that? Well, number one, data doesn't only exist in our head brain. It exists everywhere. There's data in the heart. There's data in the gut, right? And the neurons, of course. We yeah. are so afraid to make a decision based on our intuition. We feel it's reckless, it's irresponsible. And so we're always going to, we could be led by our heart and our gut, but at the end, our human nature brings us back to the head and we will find all the data to rationalize whatever our heart is saying and our gut is saying so that we don't feel guilty making reckless decisions. 
on the contrary, as long as we know when to access our different brains and they have different data, then we're able to move forward. For salespeople, for example, when it's time to sell, when it's time to get out of your comfort zone and meet uh, that no matter how, how the possibility, the looming possibility of rejection is out there right in front of you, you go for it. You use your gut brain. You use your intuition. We provide nice. our intuition, our gut data, so much less credibility than our head data. But they're all there. They're all there. It's just a matter of, as I mentioned, we begin with a heart. That's the data there are our values, our people. And then we go to our head. That's the data, the language, the meaning, the past, our intelligence, our head intelligence. And then we go to the gut and that's our courage data. That's, it tells us when to move. It tells us we're safe. You know, when we feel safe, we don't have a lot of self-preservation. Things that stopping us, we're able to move forward and forge forward. Yeah, I think I'm totally with you on this one. And logical thinking is so encouraged by society, right? It's so the intuitive feeling, the gut level feeling is so suppressed. All right, when we're in school, in education, we are saying like, you got to find the data, you got to find supportive stuff to information. Don't go with your gut. You got to think logically before you do something. So what, what is your take on that one? Our consciousness, right? Our conscious reasoning, our critical reasoning, that memory there, that storage space is so limited, right? We need more gigabytes of that. And it's all stored in our conscious brain, in our unconscious mind. It's like a dusty folder, right? There's a lot of data and information that our conscious brains are not able to hold because it's just so limited and it doesn't serve. We're going to be overwhelmed with so much data when it's, you know, when it's just there. So we try and hide it. We lock it away in our bodies and it's hiding in our, in our guts. It's hiding in our heart. It's hiding in our head brains. And at some point in time, especially when the situation presents itself that the data is needed, it will find a way to sneak in up front into our brains so that it becomes part of the decision-making. That's how the unconscious mind works, right? It's so important for us to be able to summon this, to access this, to listen to this through meditation, through uptime, through downtime processing, you know, so that we're able to have more and complete data to support us. How common is it? We often hear that when we go in negotiations, for example, and we hear all the data and we feel that's the right thing and it's the way forward, but something is telling us to hold back. Not to say, yes, it's our intuition and there is data in that and we need to listen to that, to respect it more and to allow that to fuse with all of this conscious data that we have so that we're able to make better decisions. So it's just a matter of accessing the data that's not readily accessible in our conscious programs. It's also happening now when we are, when we sometimes talking to people, we get stopped on the street or we get these strange calls from we do know the scammers are trying to get information from us. And we have, let's say, for example, I believe everybody in the audience as well, most likely had a situation when we were nearly sold on something, but something didn't quite feel right. And, and something yes. told us, stop not doing it. Don't go ahead. Let's wait a little while longer. And wow, it saved us a ton of money. Maybe it saved our life overall, our, our overall existence ultimately. That's happening, right, right, as well, isn't it? Yes, it's uh, in NLP, right, Andreas, we call it ecology, right? Ecology yeah. means that it has to be aligned with, and we need to feel like one and congruent. Otherwise, if one of the brains is saying, 
it's not safe or the heart is saying it's not compassionate enough or it's, it's cruel, it's not kind enough. And we still proceed with that decision. We, we're finding, you know, after making a decision, we're looking back and we're regretting something. It, it feels like the decision was reckless and we didn't consider all the data. So it's so important to know when to access this data and when to look into that dusty folder and to consult some of the data that's hiding there. Because it's mm. there, we know the answer to that. We have unconscious resources and unlimited bank of resources that's hidden in our bodies. But we just kept because it, we will be overwhelmed if all of these data are in our consciousness. So we're keeping it. So it's important to listen to our body, to listen to all of these brains. It's going to provide us the answers because we have inner mentors in us. So and we should give ourselves more credit for this. So would it be then right to say that most of the time we are becoming aware of it? Uh, the moment we have bought something, you're walking away from the shop after we paid something, not necessarily a sneakers or an ice cream or something, but when we, are, when we made a more significant purchase and we walk away and then some feelings inside of us come up, NLP, we call it the reassurance strategy of how we are dealing with, with the purchase we've made. Do we like it or we don't like it? And that's basically then our gut level feeling, our heart is communicating. If we are allowed to run out to our friends and say, hooray, yay, I got it. Or do we go away from the shop and we think like, ah, maybe I should have waited a little while longer. Have I been cheated? I should have waited for the, for the next sale to come up somewhere along that line. Isn't it? Right. Yes. In the same way, we have assessed everything, right? We have assessed all the data, but we want to buy it, but our gut is telling us not to buy it. I mean, it, there are so many other, we don't feel, for example, right after making a decision, probably we've missed one data point from one of the organs. And we look back and we learn, these are all lessons. And the lessons are then kept into a folder once more that's once readily more, yeah. available to be accessed in our next decisions. All of our failures are mistakes. They are just data points for redirection to tell us that we know more. There's a lot more data that's chucked into us. Unconsciously, we're receiving all of this. Our brains are so powerful. We just need to make sure that when we deal with people, we don't deal with people in our head. We deal with people using our heart, right? So to be soft on people, to be strong on our positions. The head contains the position, right? And the heart contains the people. When it's time to move, don't think about movement in your head because you overthink. Oh, the data is saying, enough, enough thinking, let's do this, let's do this. Then you bring the level and consult the gut. Are we ready? You know, are we ready to go there? When we are feeling butterflies in our stomach and it expresses itself in different physiological conditions, it means mm. we're not ready yet. It's going to tell us, hold back because you're going to get hurt. Hold back because you might die. Some spirit might die. Some decisions or plans might die. And we hold back and we listen to our courage muscles our courage brain and find out what's missing in our decision. It's okay to actually hold back a decision if the heart and the gut are not aligned with the head. But what happens when some people, some people say like, I never learned from my mistakes. So you mentioned earlier, yes, we are filing it as a new experience. They're saying in NLP, there's no failure, only feedback. We are constantly learning. Overall, some people just don't get it, right? And they're saying, like, ah, I messed it up again. Ah, I got it again, you know? So how do we deal with that? What, what happened in this situation then? We say, right, never. <laughs> we pay attention. I think the answer there is very, very simple. We pay attention to our decisions and we pay attention to the consequences of our decisions so that even when we make mistakes, we become a better person. 
all of our mistakes must be additive to our life and not reductive. It doesn't take away any of our self-worth when we make mistakes. It just makes us better person so that when the bigger decisions, when the, when the stakes are bigger, we are more ready for that. The role of mistakes and the role of all of these little decisions is to make us ready for the big decisions when the stakes are big so that we make the right decision. So it's okay to make mistakes. It is okay to listen and to, it's okay to tell ourselves, maybe I did decide well and tomorrow, next time, when presented with the same situation, I now know better to consult my heart or to consult my head or to listen more to my guts. Mm. But what do, you, what do you tell people, really? I mean, uh, I'm, I, I want to challenge that a little bit, just for fun, okay? <laughs> Which plane yeah. is talking right now? Um, so what, I mean, I, I'm fully with you, actually. We're always learning, we are ready for the next bigger thing, and there's always something better waiting for us, you know? But what do you tell people who are constantly kind of messing up their life and are stumbling from one situation to the next, and they're saying, like, I give up? As it's not for me. I'm always failing overall, and, and, and I, I, I don't make it happen. I, I just, I, my, my gut always tells me in one way, and I fall for it, and it doesn't work out for me. What, 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 how does it align with that? I think uh, behavioral flexibility, uh, Andreas, right? To ask yourself if you've been doing the same thing over and over again and repeat the same mistakes. Now we know that that's no longer <laughs> intelligence, right? So mistakes are meant to make us more intelligent. You take this, these are data points. And so the behavioral flexibility comes in, right? To be flexible in your behavior so that you're able to change your strategies so that you're able to get there. The goal remains the same, especially when you are passionate and when you feel so strongly for that goal. But the way to go there, more options, right? More possibilities to create more options for you behaviorally, structurally, so that you're able to get to that. So maybe whereas in the scheme of your head, you overthought maybe in your next action, you probably might want to just feel more or do more uh, uh, so that you're able to get to your decisions faster. So there must be some level of flexibility uh, in terms of how you do things so that we don't commit the same mistakes over and over again. I, I, think, I think you're very right. You know, some people just rush too fast. And I think where, where I would go with this one is, if some, and you say beautifully, of course, that we are doing the same thing over and over and over again. There's somebody, sometimes you need to stop, wait and listen and listen inside of us, taking the time to just take a stop, take a breather, don't rush, rush, rush always and say like, and, and start to listen to that little voice inside of us, which I strongly believe is always right. Somewhere along that line, but we are pushing it down mm -hmm. because basically, forget about this one. I go for it. This time I will be right somewhere along that line. Yes. Socrates said, I know I am intelligent because I know that I know nothing, right? Mm. At the end, to empty your mind of your biases and to just be open to learning. And we call that the uptime state, right? To just to let your channels be open and receive all the information so that you're able to become the bigger person so that you could actually step into this extraordinary field and flex ourselves in different ways. I think that's the beauty and the brilliance of human power to be able to step into our power in different ways. It is so important that at times we empty ourselves and we take all the biases out, right? And we charge forward with a different energy. It's just brilliant how we are allowed by this universe to always be able to reboot and do over and do over, right? Uh, this is an age of doing over also. 
You, you mentioned in our earlier conversation that you are very much specialized in leadership. And leadership many times, I, I think times are changing. They're going more for feelings and situational leadership and becoming more aware, of course, especially if you're in more in the upper management level, so to speak, I think. Um, but is it, is it really, what do you advise companies to do in, or leaders to do that, that most likely push back and say, like, we need to make rational decisions on a day-to-day -day basis? What do you tell them? In, when, when you start approaching them, talking to them? I think to just bring into awareness and awaken the different parts of the body, right? The nervous system. Of course, we don't say, hey, you have your heart brain, you have your gut brain. Values, for example, you bring the word values up uh, because mm. it is a lot hard, right? Is this consistent with your values? Especially with what happened to the world right now, organizations are finding it important to go back to their structural integrity and their values and their mission and their purpose, right? Purpose-driven leadership. It's very much held by the values of the company. And we forget that because we're so focused on making money, on driving profit, on driving market share. We forget you get to where you want to be. And then you look back and you see that all your people are raising their hands and saying, enough, enough, no more, no more of this. Because you just forgot the heart part of your nervous system in your organization, which are the people. And it is so important that we put a lot of importance also on people. And that's the heart brain of the company. When it's time to actually make decisions, even when you're afraid, for example, with COVID and everything, but you needed to go back to work, for example, how do you harness the power of the gut brain so that people are feeling a little bit more brave, a little bit more courageous, right? You do not anymore, so the data is there, but it's no longer this logic, logical data that's important. It's already that you need to energize the courage of the team. And so I think leaders right now, Andreas, are starting to also be aware the command and control type of leadership, right, which stems from the head brain and which is like 90% head brain is no longer applicable to our world right now. Uh, there are so many young people in the workforce. It is important that the leader need to also attend to the collective soul of the organization to try and bridge different generations together so that they could come up with the most brilliant program and plan of action to drive their businesses. And in order to build bridge, you cannot build a bridge by just head brain alone. You build a bridge by the heart rate. You build a bridge by the gut brain. You go to their space, to their workstations. You go to their level of consciousness to try and understand them. And that requires a lot of humility. And these important traits of leadership are given birth by the different organs of our bodies. Now, what would be your advice if somebody is really interested in learning it and maybe thinks like, okay, I'm very brain-driven, cerebral thinking and all that. How do they get started in the first place to really start developing themselves, getting the awareness, getting into uptime? What are, what are the three tips you would give them? I think to give yourself time to be quiet, to be quiet, that's downtime, right? Meditation works, emptying works, gratitude works, right? Allowing your body to have the necessary resourceful emotions that will allow you to feel more and to care more for the collective. These are important to listen more, to open your channel so that you're listening more, you're feeling more. These are very simple ways. It's just a matter of paying attention to the other parts of the brain. That's one thing, the downtime, the uptime also, right? To have your open, uh, to have all your senses, your personal senses, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your skin open. But to also open up the channels of your organization and your culture to have listening tools, to ask more questions, to do focus group discussions more. 
to understand the pulse of the people, to see the fears, to empathize with what they're going through, especially with this difficult crisis and this difficult situation, to take time to do that and not just to think about the bottom line. Because at the end of the day, culture is the biggest driver of your strategy. It's it, people, you know, are the most important in your organization. And to deal with people, we shouldn't deal only with the head because there are so many people are so nuanced. People are so complex uh, for just the head brain to, 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 you know, to deal with. And I guess these are very, very basic, right? To try and give yourself the time to just be quiet, to listen more. These are ways to do that. And the other, the third thing I would suggest is to find ways to get out of your comfort zones more, to try and stop the scary thing, to move one millimeter out of your comfort zone so that you're able to test your courage muscles a little bit and be courageous. And that sort of exercises your gut muscles, right? You're able to move forward faster and you're more fluid, especially when it comes to difficult decisions and difficult moves. So these are some of the three things I would suggest well, we start doing. I, I, th I, think, I think I would totally, I, I want to add on something. I think Milton Erickson was saying, sometimes you got to go slow to be faster. And I would say like when you do your first point is really about Sometimes, yeah, we are, we are pacing, we are rushing, rushing, rushing because we, I don't know where we are chasing to. But sometimes it's just walking around, feet in a, even sometimes jogging could be enough. Being outside away from the office, walking around, taking, taking the air in. Today I was reading on LinkedIn, somebody said like, hey, I took my mask off and I felt the wind blowing against me again for the first time in a long time. And I think it's about this one. We are starting to enjoy that little things again, that we are alive again, to go outside and, and feel the sun on our skin, watching the flowers growing and having been grateful for everything that, that there is around us and taking the time to really get it inside of us. Then what you mentioned also with the organization is not just necessarily about pacing the, the, the bottom line. And, and I think companies have the fear of if I'm not chasing the bottom line, we are closing down because after, after COVID, we got to catch up. We have, to, we have two years of losses or so, but people are scared still about, first of all, meeting people. Secondly, of, of, of they're still falling sick or losing their job nevertheless. But I was, I, I, I don't know if it gets the numbers straight. One article was one time saying that CEOs were saying like the best performer only give about 30% of, of their potential in an organization. And I think it's like because people are stressed out in organizations, we are working more hours than ever before um, without even having the break in the organization to find ourselves and understanding what am I actually doing in the organization? What's the purpose of me being there? So I think that is a very important point you brought up there and stepping out of the comfort zone. And you mentioned that, and I'm just giving what came to my mind as we were talking. It reminded me of, I think you said, the little steps we need to take to go out of our comfort zone. And then Tony Robbins was saying, like, it doesn't take a dramatic 100% shift in our life. It can be the 2% of change or the two degrees of change, which brings a plane, plane flying somewhere two degrees of deviation from the from the flight plan would bring the plane to a totally different place overall so yeah i think you exp expressed it very very beautifully overall so let me 
Let me just check out if there's anything else in the group. Okay, Uday is saying thank you very much. Okay, let me read up what he's saying. Uday is a great guy, you know. He said like reflect on your mistakes and learn how you can do it better. And exactly that's one point. Maybe you want to add on something in just a while, Jerry. <laughs> then he was saying like command and control is difficult now. Focus on servant leadership. And I think it's a very important point. And the third one is Certain leadership by seeing what adds to your team. You want to add on something to Ute? He's a great guy. He's a wonderful trainer as well. And he's very, very active overall. So you want to say something to this couple of points? Okay, you mentioned something about control, command and control and focus on servant leadership. And it links all together to servant leadership. So what do you think about servant leadership in relation to, to the three brains? Definitely. I mean, it is so consistent with servant leadership, right? Command and control worked before. It's an industrial age before where you need to produce and produce and produce, right? Now it's led by people. It's led by ideas and everything. And people will drive the organization. People will drive the results. And so we need to be able to act, to understand more how the human being functions. Human beings, they get scared. Human beings, they love people. They don't live alone. They interact with people by understanding how we could rev up the best versions of ourselves more. We are able to summon the different brains to help the head brain so that we could be more whole brain leaders who care for people, care for the values of the company, who are driven by the mission and the vision of the company, but who know how to make their company succeed so that they're able to get the highest market share, the, the best profit, the highest profit, and who are not scared, who will put themselves out there even in these uncertain times and show up, and that is courage. When you have a leader who's able to, you know, function and access the full powers of the brain, you have a whole organization. We know in NLP, right, change only happens and change succeeds when it leads to wholeness and choices. We want to make sure that in our goal to reach a certain thing, we don't break up the culture. We don't break up people. We make them come together no matter how hard the decision is. And hence, it's important to energize the other parts of the brain uh, so that even if it's a hard decision, even when people do not feel comfortable with the next step, they know that they will follow you to the ends of the earth because they believe in you. And that is yeah. what transformational leadership is. And so, yes, it's already the end, the death of the command and control leadership. We want to replace it with transformational leadership where people are the main drivers of business i think I'm, i'm with you there and some people earlier today was also when i was posting your video on my linkedin lives in my linkedin today they were saying like hey they really appreciated how you are stressing always people 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 and i think an organization clear signal that something is going on within an organization is i think when people take medical leave because they're stressed out as pushing too hard something is going haywire If the, the stress level is very high, the employee turnover is extremely high as well, that people don't want to stay anymore. People, it's been said, like companies, uh, people join an organization, but leave a manager, so turnover might be one thing where too much command and control is an indicator that too much control is still, uh, command and control is still happening and people get kind of pushed out of the organization because they don't feel at home anymore. And my own personal thing was always like, I felt best in organization when there was a, real family environment when i was like looking forward to go to work 
And it doesn't matter how many hours I stayed, even when my wife came, my wife visited us and my small boy at that point of time, then she was, it was like a welcoming environment, not like who are you and why is your baby in the organization suddenly, so that we actually stayed even over the weekend time to help the organization when the major stuff happened along that line. So I think these are indicators of an organization being sick and indicators of an organization being healthy when people really want to come to an organization organization stay longer because they just feel good about it. That's definitely true, right? We want people, especially when we are leading teams, we want people to bring their souls to work and not just their physical bodies, right? In order for us to access the best of people and their best versions, we need to be able to learn how to also speak to the soul. And what is mm -hmm. the soul of the organization over and beyond ambition? It is vision. It is the mission. Over and beyond roles, it is the mission of people. Over and beyond IQ, it is the emotional, the energy quotient, the energy of the team. These things we often forget as leaders because the playbook, when we were raised as leaders, when we were coached and trained as leaders, the playbook said we need to focus on bottom line, we need to focus on profits, we need to focus on the ambition, that we forget the soul of the organization. Now this is a different kind, it's an unprecedented time to try and awaken the other part of the organization that is the soul collective. In order to be able to do that, we need partners. We need the entire body. We need the entire nervous system to just fire up so that we are able to, as what you said, you are able to make people enjoy work again, love coming to work. What happened last year, Andreas, it's the great exodus, the big quit. A lot of companies lost people and they just resigned. I think it's time, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful time right now to try and look back into your culture and to the values of the company so that you're able to build back the organization better. I think, did you just start dancing nearly? I saw you <laughs> doing the moves. <laughs> um, <laughs> just go ahead and dance away. That's fine by me. I think it's really so you. What, what I wanted to say is like, just coming to my mind, last year, so many companies try to get back to where they were before. Do the same old, same old again. And many people wish they could get, get back to the same old, same old, forget the last two years. But maybe it's really a time to reset everything and take the mm -hmm. time. Actually, it should have been done earlier. Take the time to look inside and say, like, what, what is it about our organization? What is it about me as a person overall? So many people also said, like, when they had COVID or so, they were always chasing money, 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 money. But after the experience COVID, they were saying like, whoa, that was a wake up call to identify who am I as a person right now? So an organization can take the time to the time out or really refocus on their purpose and on their people along that line. And people should take the chance as well to do that. Definitely. It's the great time of a do over. I think it's it just we are being challenged to also as leaders get out of our comfort zones and learn more and open up more channels, more gateways so that the organization becomes bigger. And younger people, the new people in the company, they are teaching us. They are mm. giving us, they are telling us, you know, how to train them, how to lead them. And we need to as much, you know, learn from them too, as we don't know everything. And a great leader listens, a great leader feels, a great leader is brave. And so I really do feel very strongly about, you know, putting an end to command and control type of leadership because mm. it's no longer working in this new era. Yeah, Simon Zienek was a good leader to speak last, right? But now we have suddenly a couple of people were saying something. So I, I want to point out to Ridwan, 
and he's a storyteller. The storytellers coming from also storytelling is also something to attract the, the subconscious mind to really engage our heart overall because it draws us in. And he's also, that's one thing. I think, Ridwan, you're really on the right track, even in your job title already or in your headline, Unconventional Storyteller. And he says, like, changing our language will help transform our behaviors. Isn't, isn't that a cool comment? What do you think? De definitely. Definitely, right? Uh, sometimes it's just one small word changes everything. You open the right file, the right words, you open the right file. That's what, what's so great about NLP, right? It also gives a lot of importance to language. When we say language, it's not just the choice of words. It's also the tonality. The tone is the emotion of the words. As mm. leaders, we need to be able to provide the right tone and the right emotions to the words that we say. Because it energizes or it dampens, it kills. We are so powerful in that way. And hence, we need to be able to utilize, to use this power in the most resourceful way to bring people together to achieve a common goal. So storytellers, storytelling, for example, that is taking on a specific data point of view to energize the data that we have as leaders and to bypass that negative emotion from critical thinking. A story is needed to do that, right? When we present facts, for example, there is a strong tendency for people to feel very negative about it. But when you energize it with stories and provide it with a strong data point of view, people will listen. People are, you know, people will shift their states and mm. will alter their states. And it could just be the difference that makes the biggest difference. So as leaders, we shouldn't just be anthropologists connecting the dots. We should also be chief storytellers, chief energy officers. That's what a CEO is, right? A chief energy officer to energize the entire body so that you're all moving forward together as one part. Less parts, you move faster. And so it is the role of the leader to make you, you know, to make all of these moving parts come together so that you're able to move forward faster. I know the chat is really starting to light up a little bit. So I, I know we are closing in for one hour, but I think you are. Are you okay to hang on a little while longer? Yeah, yeah, okay, yes, for sure, okay. Andrea. Because because Ridwan and Zaina do Zaini Datul was saying something beautiful. Of course, you know Zaini Datul. My apologies if I pronounce this wrong name wrongly a little bit. Said noted that command and control is a bit overrated in today's era, but at the same time we all need to respect the chain of command as to work harmoniously. What do you think about that statement? Yes, definitely, because that puts order, right? Uh, that puts order in the organization. At the end of the day, a servant leader, for example, will listen to the pulse of the organization, but the, the, the collective looks up to the leader to make the final decision. And uh, when you are inspiring enough, no matter how difficult the next moves are, you will find that people will be there to follow you. It is so important that we always say this, we want to empower the workforce, but we also want to make sure we build a polite workforce where we respect the decision of the leader. And that's what the chain of command is, uh, that there is the leader who's actually moving forward and leading the organization and telling us where to go. In that aspect, I see a leader as a chief future builder to build mm. the future and shape the future. Because a lot of people are just seeing data points that are relevant to their own personal lives. And at times, they are not able to see beyond that. They are so south in their perspective, so detail-oriented that they need the leader to provide them the chunk-up information to see yes. that North Star or the vision, right? Uh, sometimes the vision is just also blurry. And a great leader must be able to catalyze this vision to the present so that it becomes relevant to the people out there. 
So definitely, definitely, command and control does not and should not be in any way opposed to the chain of command. We still need leadership. We still need an orderly and organized people organization to make sure that everybody is, you know, is moving to the right direction in an organized and structured way. No, I think I'm, I'm with you there. I think as a matter, it's not about command and control. And I think it's a definition of how we define command and control vendor. It's even if we are not necessarily abolishing command and control, but it's about maintaining respect no matter what the organization, what's happening in the organization. So it's not about having a riot in there or so and then be totally out of control, but still being respectful, knowing whom to follow, being polite along that line. It doesn't contradict anything about the three brains overall that we talked about earlier. So I hope I, that answers your question, Sanita, too. Yes, Sarah is mentioning, I want to shout out her. I think it's a friend of yours, so coming from your side, Sarah Jane. She's saying that's wonderful. Jerry, no, no to command and control leadership, rather go for transformational leadership. So we can have transformational leadership with respect, right? And still some command and control along that line to not get haywire overall. Yes, and it's so difficult to be a leader these days, right? Because you need to assume different roles. As I mentioned, you need to be an anthropologist. You need to be a future builder. You need to be a chief energy officer, a chief storyteller. But if you're able to do that, right? I, and I called it the influence compass, where you could move from right to left, from north to south, chunk up and chunk down, depends on what's needed. And it's expected of you to grow these skills, then you're able to then get to the desired bottom line to the results faster. Uh, the idea of having three brains and the idea of moving in different directions shouldn't slow down the decision-making process. It should in make it faster. A lot of times when we overthink, no? when we overthink, we spend a lot of time thinking. We don't move. So someone once told me, if you are using the three brains, you know, you go to the heart, go to the head, heart, and then the gut, and then the heart again, doesn't that slow down the process? Maybe in the short term it does, but in the long term, it just makes things faster. Because the gut brain is that part of the brain that energizes action. Uh, without action, what are ideas for? They become very cheap because they mm -hmm. are not translated into things. So it's, yeah. I, I like what Sarah said about transformation. When you deconstruct the word transformation, there's the word form there. A leader must be able to change the form, how we move, how the company presents itself to the market. That's part of transformation. It begins there in those little tiny changes that you take on so that you're able to alter the form and transform the entire nervous system of the organization. Don't you like that, guys? When she said, like, okay, in the form of in transformation, there's form in there, shaping the form, changing the form. How beautifully expresses, you know? It's like, a, wow, I learned something here as well. <laughs> Jerry, <laughs> I have one more question, of course. I want to hear a personal story of yours. A personal story of sure. yours where you really were in a situation where this alignment of, of the different three brains really brought you out into from, from some bad situation, rescued you somewhere along that line, or when you used the three brains to, to really pivot you to the next level. 
you have such story to share so many when i first i I am a firewalking instructor to andrea so when you look at firewalking right that's walking on a bed of fire and that requires a lot it's it's a very visceral experience somatic experience that requires you to transcend that primal energy of fear when you're able to walk through that fire you're able to see yourself beyond the fire and you've transformed yourself and that is the gut brain and i remember when i first decided to be a firewalk instructor it was very very difficult physically draining I was spirit spent during that session that that entire training and I needed to actually forget the brain the head brain forget logic I needed to actually forget what my heart is saying which is to give up and I just needed to face my fear and at that point in time that primal the neurons in the gut just allowed me to forge forward you can't cross the fire with your head you're going to overthink and you're going to turn around and say, this doesn't make any sense for me, right? And that particular exercise, Andreas, brought me two things. Number one is I've brought that energy of firewalking to my work in my country and we have fired up half a million people in my country to, you know, to utilize this sense of fire to try and elevate their consciousness as a culture, to try to be less afraid, to try to be a little bit faster, to move in synchronicity and to see your leader as you know somebody who's also a human being who's capable of getting scared and, and afraid and when they see that and when they witness that they become stronger and more powerful as an organization the other lesson that i have taken up from that gut brain is during the pandemic when we had to pivot the entire business because my entire work is centered around face-to-face training and because of what happened in the pandemic, where we needed to convert everything online and we didn't have that digital knowledge and intelligence to do that, it was just so tiring. And so many parts of my spirit just wants to say, enough, never mind. My head brain is saying so many companies failed anyway. So the odds of success are very, very poor. But it was also my gut brain and my heartbreak because there was a lot of clamor to help organizations. It was that moment when we started to remember again the purpose that we were founded around with to try and rekindle that because we forget. There's a lot of, during good times, the head brain just, you know, just keeps working and working. The idea, the ambition keeps working and working. We forget to consult the heart and we forget to consult the gut. So those were precious moments, you know, and lessons for me to try and summon the power of the two other brains so that we're able to build the business again and i've seen a lot of my decisions i've ignored some of the data that's presented to me and i've learned to jump and to throw myself off the ramp and be braver those are thank you to my gut brains you know that allowed me to do all these things nice 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 i don't want to take too much of your time okay maybe i want to read Utah's comment you're saying i respect sani dutatul's point but i think we should focus on respect each other by seeing them as human rather than leader all the time so we do not need to follow the system that's a deep point you want to say something about this mm-hmm. one or should i read it back to you again <laughs> The system, the field, this entire ecosystem, that's so important. And I think the three brains, the three brains put a lot of respect 
for the human beings. When I say leaders, I just don't mean leaders, right? It could be all of us are leaders. We are all self-leaders. And uh, the first important role of us being leaders is to take care of our own system, that we are ecological, that we are aligned and we are congruent. And hence, the three brains respect the system. It allows us to, to go to the map and the spaces of other people more, to listen to people as human beings and not just assets or resources in a business, for example. So I don't see conflicts here. I, I see that blends very well in the story of awakening the best parts of the human being so that we're able to move with the least conflict, no? with, with, with uh, synergy and harmony forward to listen more to the different parts of our bodies. All right. Hey, Andreas, thank you so much for this time. The Awakener podcast because I didn't I, I did for, I forgot to ask you what it is all about I know you started it newly apparently where is that is it on Apple is it on where, where how do how do it they is, find uh, wherever wherever you get your your podcast we are there uh, Spotify Apple Google everywhere the Awakener podcast is basically will provide you with bits and pieces of NLP wisdom and leadership wisdom to try and help you cope with the challenges that you are facing some bits of tools also into bite-sized tools to allow you to be inspired to just collect a few lessons enable you to be better human beings we call it awakener because we want to provide some of those food awakenings or some of those uh, to tickle up you know to provoke a little bit the spirit or the mental consciousness to try and look at things in a different point of view so there's a lot of nlp there there's a lot of human behavior also in the podcast so do tune in to us uh, spotify will be a great uh, platform so to there get you to have it our three brains our time together is short though just remember fellow awakeners that you can tap into the intelligence of your head heart and gut anytime you want any or all just call on their powers and use each brain when it's most appropriate. We have in our wealth of unconscious and personal resources, our head-based intellect, our heart-based values, and our gut-based instincts. We can combine all our brains together to make not just an intelligent decision, but also a more compassionate and courageous one. This week is extra important and reflective for my Christian friends too, as we commemorate Lent. This is a time to reflect and think about our past mistakes, empty our own thoughts and emotions, and allow a new awakened spirit to take life inside. We awaken our three brains too, so we can function as better people with creativity, compassion, and courage. Truly, three brains are better than one. Remember, change does not happen when we are asleep. For change to happen, the sleeper must awaken. I'll see you in the next episode of The Awakener. And I wish you all an advanced happy Easter too.